0: You find all this time in our lives. Once we start looking, we say we don't have time, but we all have 24 hours a day. So the question is, where's your time going? Right? And then when you start to find it, you start to reinvest it back in things that you say are important to you.
1: Hey podcast, Drew here. Today we have my buddy Pedram Shojai talking about his new book, Focus, bringing time, energy, and money into flow. Pedram's all about flow. He's all about helping you tap into your own inner discipline and willpower to bring back your life into flow and away from distraction. It's a fun conversation. Stay tuned. Hi, everyone. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by my new venture and our newest protein powder, the Pegan Shake. One of the best ways to boost your brain power is with the best nutrition. This is why Dr. Mark Hyman and I teamed up to create the perfect shake to start your morning off right and set your brain and body up for vitality and success. The shake is called the Pegan Shake and it features a combination of grass-fed collagen, organic pumpkin, and organic pea protein powder, with healthy fats from MCT oil and avocado oil, which, by the way, are great for fat burning and fueling brain power as well. A little bonus, the Peek and Shake also features organic acacia fiber, which is great for gut motility and digestion. See, this shake was created to support healthy blood sugar and healthy energy levels. In fact, one of the most common reasons for mood imbalances and brain challenges come from unbalanced blood sugar. Have you ever felt anxious, tired, and wired, and then ate something and felt better? Well, when your blood sugar goes through major fluctuations throughout the day, you literally can feel crazy. I know so many people can relate. So the Peak and Shake supports your blood sugar by feeding your body the right information from this perfect combination of macronutrients. I've been using the Peak and Shake for months, and I feel full, satisfied, satiated, focused, and most importantly, I avoid those energy slumps that come in the late afternoon, too. I think you're going to love this shake. Dr. Hyman and I teamed up to make it because we literally couldn't find a shake mix that we loved, so we decided to create it ourselves. Check it out at getpharmacy.com slash shake. You can find the link in the show notes. That's getpharmacy, pharmacy pharmacy with an F, F F-A-R-M-A-C-Y.com slash Shake. Now on to today's episode. Welcome to the Broken Brain Podcast, where we dive deep into the topics of neuroplasticity, epigenetics, mindfulness, functional medicine, mindset, and more. I'm your host, Drew Prode, and each week my team and I bring on a new guest who we think can help you improve your brain health, feel better, and most importantly, live more. This week's guest is a good friend of mine, Dr. Pedram Shojayi. Dr. Pedram is a doctor of oriental medicine, master herbalist, and acupuncturist. He's in the New York Times, best-selling author of The Urban Monk and The Art of Stopping Time. He's also the founder of Whole.TV and Well.org. He's an acclaimed Qigong master and a Taoist abbot. His latest book, Focus, Bringing Time, Energy, and Money into Flow, was just released and is about to bring your attention in line with your intention and to get the life you want. Pedro, welcome to the Broken Brain Podcast.
0: Hey, great to be here, nice to see you.
1: I'd love to start off with the basics and talk about your sort of philosophies on energy as a whole. A big part of them have been shaped by your influence and your studies in the Taoist tradition. Talk about that and just set the stage a little bit for your training in that world.
0: Yeah. I mean, in the world of Qigong, energy is the currency of life. And if you think about it, you don't really have much going on without energy. It fuels every cell of your body. It fuels every part of your brain. I mean, energy is the gas, right? Like you you have to have energy to move. And as you start to look at the physiological needs of energy your body has a lot right like so your digestion takes a lot of energy your immunity takes a lot of energy your brain takes a lot and so we have this kind of internal economy where we're turning food mixing it with oxygen turning it into energy and using it right spending it in this this company if you will called you know your body in your life and then the question becomes okay so lights are on store is open what 's this show about? Like, where do you want to take this life? What do you want to do? Like you want to take a step to your right, you want to move to the left, you want to write a book, you want to build a bridge. That also takes energy right? And so over the years, as I studied with you know the Taoists and the Dalai Lama and all the people that I had the privilege of studying with, you know the more I realized are, you know, people who are complaining about not having energy, uh, most of them had plenty of energy. It was just being uh, misallocated, if you will. And it was just, you know, they're sitting there running around on a hamster wheel trying to figure out what they want to do. They're, they have very um, very little clarity and very little focus on where to direct that energy. So you know, there's a couple of ways to look at it. You know, you can put a bunch of gunpowder inside a canister, light it, and it explodes, or you can put it into a, a rocket and use it for propulsion in a very specific direction. And that all comes with focus and engineering your life in the direction you want to go. And without that, I mean, like, what's the point of getting healthy? What's the point of any of it? Like, yeah, you know, I might I might do a bunch of, you know, squats and stuff and get, you know, into like an Instagram, you know, photo that I feel proud of. And then it's all downhill from there, right? And, and there's really no motivation to stay healthy and to stay focused on what you want in life. And so for me, it became a study of life more than just Qigong and energy in my body, right? Because it, it turns out it, it applies to everything.
1: Yeah, it's sort of like... What do we want to use the energy for? And when we get clear on that, we can get better at also redirecting that energy. What do you think are some of the limiting beliefs that you see about energy in society today?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think we have lost the connection between food and energy to begin with. I mean, food and body dysmorphia and all the kind of issues we have with weight gain Uh, and weight loss and body image. I mean, look, you know, if if I see fat, like I used to say this to patients and try to like judo flip this and be like, you know, they're wearing an extra 30 pounds around the waist and they're complaining about being tired. I'm like, well, there's your energy right there. Now we got to figure out how to unlock it, right? I mean, fat is the best store of energy we have. So then the question is, how are you out of balance in your energy economics? How are you not calling upon these calories into your muscles and into your brain and into your life forward and storing them for a rainy day and slowing your roll. So it's about adjusting burn rate and and getting food to feed muscles in life and move forward instead of storing it and it's also I mean there's a whole other part where we're just borrowing energy from tomorrow to get through today I mean caffeine and stimulants have put us into like almost I, I call deficit spending right we're, we're borrowing too much energy because we can't tap into the energy we have you know stored in our hips and our waist and also just are not optimized in burning the energy that we have on board or that we take on board and all this is fixable right this is this is simple functional medicine fixes but it doesn't get fixed until you fix your mindset and and where you're going
1: let's talk a little origin story before we get into the meat of some of the things you cover inside the book and the teachings that are there what was your relationship with uh energy and focus growing up, like before you really started studying what you study and teach today?
0: Yeah. I mean, look, immigrant kid, um, you know, basically we came over here, you get good grades, you know, make us proud kind of thing. Right. And so a lot of, for me, um, you know, doing what was asked of me and then pretending to look busy, because, um, you know, there was all sorts of like immigrant anxiety on dad's side, right? It's like, you know, I'd pretend to be doing homework when I was done with my homework. And and a lot of that kind of wasted energy, instead of saying, oh, I'm going to go relax or play basketball. I'm going to sit here and doodle at my desk, um, you know, because when dad walks by, I got to pretend like I'm, I'm doing homework, right? And so you find all these weird inefficiencies and and just... Like you know, this is not an optimized use of energy for a kid, right? And you know, you go into your adult life and you realize you're still doing that crap, and you're like, okay, well, that I, I found it. Now you got to pull that weed, and then you know, plug in your energy better. I mean, to this day, it's hard for me to just sit there and do nothing because it's it, it feels so unproductive, and I have to consciously allow that to happen so that my energy can reset. It's almost like a pond that refills, right? Um, And if you don't allow for that, yeah, you're tired all the time, sucks, right? And that's everyone around you, right? Everyone's complaining about being tired, yet they're running around like lunatics and not resting and not focusing on what they said they wanted and doing 100 million other things all day. Of course you're tired.
1: So, you know, with that as a little bit of your background, where did the passion come that ultimately brought you into studying kind of what at that time, I'm sure were very contrarian subjects, Qigong, you know, coming from, you know, your Persian background, immigrant background, also going and exploring like the Taoist philosophies. What was the point of pivot where you thought, okay, I'm going to seek out and go down a different path?
0: Dude, great question. And as you can imagine, it didn't go over well at first, right? <laughs> like, you just, you just made your way into UCLA. You're our, you know, young, soon to be doctor prodigy. And now you want to do all this like witchcraft, like what, what the hell is wrong with you kid? Right. And For me, it was just stark. There was a couple things. One was I was interning at the UCLA Pain Medicine Center. Everyone's getting put on morphine. Uh, It was right when uh, the doctors um, at UCLA were, you know, there was pharmaceutical grade cocaine being pilfered from the pharmacies and the doctors were partying. And I was just around a lot of like nasty energy around medicine going, wow, this is, I thought we were here to help people. And uh, simultaneously, I'm in the martial arts and I'd be going to these martial arts tournaments and my teacher would be like, oh, that's so-and-so, you know, grandmaster of the so-and-so tradition. And the guy's like on a cane hobbling, you know, that's grandmaster so-and-so, guys in a wheelchair. They're all just beat up, like like demolition derby style. And I'd look over on the other side of the room and be like, hey, who's that guy? He's like, oh, that's a Tai Chi guy. Guy's like walking on air. I'd be like, how about her? Oh, she's a Qigong master. I'm like, how come we're not doing that. Like, those guys look great. Those guys are like full of life and are radiating light in life. And everyone else is all beat up on the hard hitting martial arts side that I was on. And then also on the medicine side, like, you know, my attending guy I was interning with, I asked him if we were going to do anything other than put him on morphine. And he's like, look, man, we're just hoping they die of natural causes before we kill them. And I was like, wow, that is the most grim, morose outlook on, you know, something I'm looking down the barrel of, you know, making this my life and my career and that's all you got, I'm out. Right. And you know, that was it. I was going to be a Jedi. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Well, one thing that you talked about, you know, you gave this talk at the Bulletproof Conference a few years ago. It's online. We'll make sure to link it in the show notes. And you basically talk about how these uh, folks that were doing Tai Chi, Qi Gong, you know, that's biohacking from centuries ago. That is baked into that tradition. Can you explain that a little
0: bit more? Yeah, I mean, listen, millions of people um, over thousands of years, I mean, and there's, you know, how many billion people in China right now alone, but we're not talking about just China, we're talking about India. We're talking about the entire area around Asia where this spread went to Korea, went to, you know, Southeast Asia. We're talking probably like, you know, a sample size of a billion people um, which is pretty reasonable over 5,000 years. And these are very pragmatic people. If it doesn't work, you don't do it, right? And so there are centuries of, of tradition and practices and, and integration. Like I'll come in and do a set and my teacher will come and say, no, 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 shoulders down, this is it, and just calibrate. And then be like, oh, hey, do you feel that? And be like, oh, this is what it feels like. Yes, yes, now keep going, right? And so we're talking about data, over thousands of years with millions and millions of people helping uh, you know, kind of cross examine this thing called mind, this thing called energy and then looking at it with, you know, the medical science of the time saying, okay, wow, yeah, look that, that worked. This person's doing better. What did we do? Right. And so there's, there's an incredible basis for uh, empirical data and science that's come over thousands of years, which is the original biohacking, right? Like people ask me if I'm like a new age guy. I'm like, dude, there's nothing new age about. Like I'm, I'm an ancient tradition guy who now looks at new science as well, but I don't new age. I don't even know what the hell that is. I'm talking about Kung Fu that's worked since it's, it's always worked. Right.
1: So ultimately you ended up getting, going down this path, you know, getting a doctorate in, in Oriental medicine and then having a, a, a basically a, a mentor, a master that you studied under that started taking down the path of giving you these, uh, I guess I'm pronouncing correctly, but gong, like the gong and qigong, Mm uh, talk to us about what they are and what the, why these principles are baked into your book as a framework for bringing, you know, time, energy, and money all into
0: flow. Yep. So the, the translation of the word gong is work. And I, uh, it was like 20, 30 years ago now, learned a medical qigong set from uh, a master that was visiting from China and I'd been doing qigong for a while. Um, but you know, it was just just another set. I'd known many, but this one, you know, I'd seen all sorts of incredible results with it and all that. And it was was great. And it felt good. And his instruction to us was now, you need to do this every day for a hundred days and that's your gong and you complete that, then you know this thing, right? But like, there's no point in me showing you, you know, 50 moves and then, you know, flying back to China, you're going to forget it by tomorrow, right? So you got to burn it in, you got to cook it in. So it's basically, you know, habit forming, you know, behavioral 101. And you know, the, the deal though was if you miss a day, you start over. And so I was like, all right, you know, game on. I missed day 12 start over. I missed day 46. And I realized at that moment that it was a decision. And my focus kept getting splintered between all these other things. I mean, there's a million yoga classes and stuff. There's so much in the information age. It's so easy to get distracted. That day, I was like, you know what? I'm doing this. Every single day of the the next 46 days that I had already the ground that I had already covered that I was recovering was like ouch And I got to a day hundred and was like got it now, you know to this day I could I could do that set right now, you know, it's burned into my memory But then I was like wow, this is this is great I really want to do another gong, you know And I started adding other practices and other principles to it and again, this is like 30 years ago I mean I had a lot of hair back then and um, as I started doing it, I started implementing other elements. I'm like, well, you know, yeah, I should do a plank as part of my gong. So I'd start from, you know, one part gong, which was the thing. And then I do a three part, a four part, five part. And sometimes I'd be like, wow, six is is too much. Let me throttle back. You know, life has things going on. And as I started doing this, people in my life are like, Hey, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Like you're glowing. There's something, there's something different about you. I was like, oh, you know, I've been doing these practices, but I've been steady with them. And so I showed a few friends and family. I showed a few patients. And what, what became of it was all the work that, that is this life garden work that we could talk about. But I mean, it's 30 years in the making, pressure tested in my life in the lives of people around me and then in tens of thousands of patients and students. And the deal with them always was like, hey man, I'm gonna show you how to do this. Tell me what worked, tell me what didn't work, collaborate. It's like open source software. Like Help us all understand how this works better in your life. And so over 30 years, I mean, it's turned into something that, I mean, it's pretty much works for most people because it's been tested in so many lives.
1: There's this analogy that you have in the book of the life gardens and the importance of tending to our gardens. Can you set the stage here by sharing that and why that analogy is important for the people who are listening?
0: Yeah. If you were to look at your life as a garden, what are the big plants that need to be watered? That, that, that draw water, that need water. I mean, you have your relationship, your family, your health, your career, your passions, your hobbies. I mean, what are they, right? And I've never been in the business of telling people what they should prioritize. That's not my business. But to say, okay, look at your life as a garden. What are the big plants? And how much water? do they need in order to thrive? What's water? It's time, money, and energy. We trade the three for each other all day, every day, right? And so, just doing an accounting of like, okay, what does it take for me to run my my company, uh, be the dad I want to be, be the spouse, maybe do the date nights, get my workouts in, whatever it is that is your own personal life math. You figure that out and then you identify which plants are not getting enough Where the weeds in the garden are and where you need to reallocate in order to have balance so you don't have shriveling plants on one side and thriving, you know, trees on another because Lord knows, I mean, we've all been there. You go 50 years in your career, you end up with diabetes, heart disease, uh, estranged children, and a a wife that's left you. I mean, is that a win or a loss in in the life column, right? But if you can water them all together and move forward, and we all talk about work-life balance, it it doesn't just happen. You work towards it, right? So learning how to allocate water to what's important to you. And then watering that on a daily basis, a weekly basis, whatever it takes so that your life moves forward in a, in a holistic way, that becomes the work, right? And then you start looking at things that come in, you know, it's like, hey, you know, an old buddy from college is in town, he wants to go get, you know, drinks and you're on your way to the gym and you're like, wow, um, if I say yes to him, I have to say no to the gym, I have to say no to my sleep and no to the family I was going to go see tonight for this new yes, do I have room for it, right? So it creates a matrix for you to be able to make better decisions and say no to things so you you can continue to say yes to the things that you've already said are important to you. And that's where focus comes in. That's where we suck, right? That's where we just, we're so terrible at staying focused on what we said yes to yesterday. And today's new yes is a no to yesterday's yes. (laughs) No wonder our lives don't work.
1: So so a big part of focus is, realizing what is sort of making us unfocused that's there, like doing the audit to actually get a sense of what's distracting me, what's pulling me away. When you explain this approach to folks, what are some of the common things that you're finding that are pulling their attention, money, and time away from their ability to focus?
0: Yeah. Um, A lot of it is you know, the the devices, right? So, you know, you hold up your device. It's like whether you're playing Candy Crush or, you know, going through Instagram, trying to see, you know, what so-and-so is wearing at a party or whatever it is. Um, if you start looking at the amount of screen time that we are somehow calling downtime, right? Because we need to like take a break from whatever it is. You realize that all the time you had to meditate, to stretch, to to breathe, to maybe work out and all that is probably buried in, in some screen somewhere anyways. So that's just found time. And then the dialys, like hey, I'm gonna go call some people. Like you know, instead of saying I'm gonna listen to a book on tape, I'm gonna call random people and see who's gonna take my call while I'm on my drive. Right. Like you find all this time in our lives once we start looking. We say we don't have time, but we all have 24 hours a day. So the question is, where's your time going, right? And then when you start to find it, you start to reinvest it back in the things that you say are important to you. And, you know, look, if, if Instagram is your decompression or like, you know, binge watching sh- some shows, your decompression, um, that's like saying, okay, well, wine helps me mellow out at night. There are better ways to self-medicate than alcohol. Right, um, or TV, or any of it, and so we start to upgrade our rituals that we are using that we think are serving us into rituals that actually do serve us. And then not only are we getting our eyes back and our sleep back and our time back, we're meditating and we're starting to do the things that that bring us to balance. Um, we're not getting overwhelmed by TV dramas and, and and just nonsense being poured into our brain as well. But it, really, to me, it's a function of taking it back. I mean, we talk about. We live in the information age. What is the currency of the information age? It's your attention. Your attention is monetized. Your eyeballs are monetized. So the entire world, this industry, (laughs) is designed to pull your attention out of your eyeballs into some advertising or some drama or some vote for this or join this cause. And your, your energy, your life force is being pulled into someone else's dream or vision of the world instead of your own and you wonder why your life isn't working. Right? And so for me, the primary ingredient in that is attention and focus back into one's own life so that you could tend your own garden and actually get the life that you want. Um, Cause a lot of us are talking about things that we say we want, but we're not backing that with action and energy. So we're just talking, right? And you get the lives that you see around you.
1: Let's talk about that first area of attention, taking it back. You know, you mentioned screen time. So one thing is being aware of the things that sort of take our attention, focus, energy away. Another thing is adding practices back that help us concentrate that. When we think about attention, let's say, for instance, somebody's trying to be more aware of screen time, what are some of the things that people can bring in to actually focus that, like your example of the gunpowder analogy, focus that attention in a way that's going to give them energy.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, the, this is going to sound so trite and cliche and said before, and that's exactly why I'm going to say it. We already know how to fix this, right? It's called meditation. <laughs> like, we, there's so much science on what meditation does to power the prefrontal cortex, help you with rational thinking, higher moral reasoning, negation of impulses, and switching from sympathetic overdrive to parasympathetic. Uh, you know, NF kappa B suppression of inflammation throughout your body, helping you with better decisions, more clarity. All of it. Here's the problem: you can say, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah," I've heard that, but when's the last time you meditated? Oh, I tried that. It was hard. Yeah, I tried flying a helicopter. I sucked at it. But if you practice it, you get better at it. And so the first thing to understand is that nobody is going to do this for you. Nobody is going to be able to get your focus back into your mind because we live in a crisis of consciousness. We have lost the consciousness that our own mind is responsible for the outcome of how our life emanates. And that right there is the central scar. Everyone is looking outside themselves saying, fix me, give me an answer, Drew, what do you got? I'm gonna listen to 300,000 more podcasts, I have stacks of notes from every docu-series I've seen, but I don't do any of it. I'm just taking in information, but I'm not doing anything. When you cross over and you decide to take control of your attention, and then you start doing things very specifically, taking actions to make your life better every day, that's when everything turns around. That's when you start to become powerful, you start to live in your body, and you start to have this thing called agency, which then helps you back into this upward spiral of doing things, getting positive results, proving that things work, iterating, moving forward, and having an operating system that moves towards greater health, greater clarity, greater abundance, and greater balance in your family. But that does not come from more information. That comes from deciding to take control of the reactive nature of your mind so that you can finally be back in the driver's seat. And look, people are like, oh, that sounds like work. Yeah. Yeah. That's not the most popular message. I'm sorry. You have to work to take your mind back and your life back. But once you do so, the entire universe conspires to work around you because now you're sitting in your power.
1: So you were a monk before and we'll get to that story. I want to have you tell the audience a story. And a, and, a, and a big part of why you you left is to bring in the traditions and the teachings that you had into everyday life for people. So let's give some analogies in your life or some examples. You have kids, you have a family, you run a company, you write books, there's a lot of projects that are there. What are some of the ways that you, in your own life, can, whether we use the analogy, the martial arts analogy of fighting, right, or redirecting that energy, how do you maintain your focus throughout the day and check in when it gets off track. What are, what are ways that the common things, you know, for example, starting our mornings off. A lot of folks, especially parents, sometimes feel that the priorities of the family end up maybe derailing their focus. Another aspect is being an entrepreneur uh, in this day and age of information and accessibility of technology, where there's multiple inputs that can come at you throughout the day. So what are ways that uh, Pedrum manages that.
0: Yeah. I think, uh, the first one, and this was, look, this is every family has politics. Like my wife wants us to watch some show and like hang out, uh, and, and enjoy some, like some media in the evenings. And I've categorically boycotted it because I need to get up at least 30 minutes, if not 60 minutes before those kids are, you know, tearing the house apart and do my thing. Right. So I had to choose between night hours and morning hours. And look, that's not, yeah, it's, it's really convenient. I'd love, I'd love to sit around and watch Yellowstone every night and then move to the next show and move to the next show and sleep in and hit snooze. I don't, I, my life is too big for that. And so I get up and I do half an hour of Qigong before I pee in the morning to grab my attention, my focus, and direct my energy. And then I sit on my meditation cushion and see what it is that I set out to do today and make sure that I handle the big chunks first. And then throughout the day, if I start to feel agitated and I start to feel like, hey man, I'm getting a little slumpy, you know, I first off from eleven to twelve every day, I've walked off for exercise. I don't let I don't let anyone break that wall. Right. And then, and then after the exercise, we go back, I have lunch with my family and I'm back in, but I'll do things in chunk time. And if I'm feeling agitated, I'll step out for a second. I'll do some Qigong. I'll, you know, look, life happens. Things come at you, but making sure that you know what your biggest priority to move your projects along for the day is in the morning, and then staying focused on that because Lord knows you open up your email, you check your text thread, I mean, I mean, how many ways can people find you now? Right? So you have many chat, you have, you have, you have instant messenger, you have WhatsApp. I mean, there's a hundred thousand ways for the world to come kick down your door and say, Hey, look at this instead of what you were set out to look at that day. So you got to hold that line. Like I'll get up and do dedicated acts of self-love and take care of myself and focus my mind and get my energy going and exercise and all things that we know are important. You know, I'll intermittent fast. I'll have my first meal. um, you know, after I work out, that's all fine. But if I start randomly checking email in between a document that I'm writing a book I'm writing or a project that I'm doing, I'm screwed because that other person's, Demands of my time just superseded what I said was important to me. And so I set chunk time and say, look, this is chapter three and I have a three hour chunk. I could take breaks or whatever, but I'm not letting the world come knocking on my door. I've set aside three hours for chapter three and I hold the gates. I do not let them scale the castle walls. Because if not, chapter three doesn't get done. I don't know what got done. I kind of did stuff all day. I'm tired. But now I'm feeling annoyed because in the back of my mind, I still got chapter three to do. But the kids are already like, hey, dad's back. And you're like, dad's kind of back. My body's here, but my mind's not with you. And that's not fair to them. Right? So there are so many ways to get pulled out of your day, of your intent for your day, if you allow the world to do it. So for me, you start with practices, but then the practices help you stay focused on where you need to stay all day. Because meditation to me isn't like something you double click. It's the operating system. You're constantly scanning to be like, hey, what am I doing right now? What did I say I was supposed to be doing, right? If it was like me on a meditation cushion, okay, so I'm you know daydreaming, let's come back to meditating. But if it's me writing a document, why why am I in WhatsApp? Why am I engaged in Skype right now? I just turn those off, right? And I stay where I'm supposed to stay.
1: And I think it's a good question to ask why, because sometimes deeper things come up. Maybe you're avoiding it because you're afraid of something. Okay, great. You know, let's let's work on that or let's just move through that. It just could be a feeling in the body. Maybe there's something going on in your relationship and you didn't address it. You got into a fight in the morning and you actually just need to text your loved one you know, listen, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that that way this morning. You know, let's talk about it more tonight. But I just want to say like, I love you. There's so many ways that I almost find that we seek out distractions when there's a little bit of an imbalance that's there, rather than distractions, throwing us off. It's a little bit of like, we'll go and find the distraction. If we want to be distracted, we'll go out there and find the distraction if we're not fully um, there, which is why so many of the practice inside of your book are, uh, are key for bringing people in. So, so take us through some of those practices. You know, you've talked about meditation and we started off the interview by talking a little bit about, about diet. What, what are some of the ways that you are recommending inside the book that people reclaim and step back into um, their time, money, and energy?
0: Yeah, uh, one, of the, one of the things that I think is important is, you know, and I tried this, like, you know, I came off the mountain. I thought I could just be like, oh, here's, here's what you need to do. Go do it. You know, world saved. Right. And I realized that people just don't. And so there's all these distractions. There's all this like human drama. There's all this bad habit energy that's built up over years. And, you know, dad, dad didn't raise him right. or mom wasn't nice. And so I realized that it's hard to ask someone, like if, if time was like, you know, cash in your pocket, and I were to ask you to say, hey, you know, empty your pocket. I need, I need the remaining time left. And you're like, you know, just lint. You got nothing, right? So you can't invest that into anything. So what I learned over the years is, it's, and a lot of this is kind of inspired by Marty Seligman's positive psychology and a lot of different kind of movements out there, which is I got to, you know, when someone comes to me, the first thing I do is give them a shot in the arm. I'm like, you know what? Let's look at your diet, your exercise, your sleep, your mindset and all these places and just look for some gross inefficiencies and adjust for those and eke out a little bit of profit from that department. It's like, okay, you're eating sugar or you're taking X, Y, and Z for food. Let's up your vegetables and, and, you know, put some healthy fats in there and get your brain working. And all of a sudden you went from stressed out, anxious, hangry, over caffeinated to, to eating again cycle to having a, a stable um, satiety with stable energy for your brain, and you don't have this agitation of the yo yo effect of like caffeine up and down. That in and of itself, 80% of people are just like, whoa, you know, I feel better. I have more clarity. I got a little bit extra time because I wasn't sitting there daydreaming while staring at the dumb spreadsheet for three hours. Got it done in half an hour. Now what? right? And so as I start to eke out some efficiencies with practices that are, you know, in the book, um, people start feeling better. And then I ask them to just continue to invest that energy into more things that'll get them better. Um, And, you know, you're going to run into sabotage because people don't really like living big lives because the more energy you have, the more you hear all that he said, she said, all that agitation. And then if you lead an unexamined life, you're going to decompress back to where you started because you can't handle the emotional content, the volume right under the surface. And most of us will sabotage there. And that's, again, where the practices come in. And, and really, you know, one of my favorite practices that uh, one of my Zen teachers taught me is like, you know, he said, look, you're not supposed to do anything. You know, so, so what, you just sit here? He's like, no effort, no nothing. And it's like, okay, that's so hard for the Western mind to grasp. He's like, okay, if you need to do one thing, Ask yourself one question What am I doing right now? And whatever that is, just stop. And so, that operating system of effort and energy out versus just relaxing is where I find the Western mind is completely trapped. Is we don't know how to not do. So, the first step to unlocking that is just going, Okay, what am I doing right now? And the answer could be, well, I'm supposed to be typing this document, but I'm thinking about what my girlfriend said. And I'm going into this weird um, uh, dialogue of what I should have said. And, you know, you go off into these crazy mental tangents that you could spend an hour and a half in having a conversation with someone over some emotional hurt that wasn't addressed at the time. And you catch that, you're like, wow, wow, I've been spending a lot of time having a conversation with a person in my head, how about I do what Drew just said, call and say, I'm sorry. I love you. Let's talk about this later. But just diffuse that energy and go back to the document. Or say, you know what? This is This is too much. I got to call and talk to her right now because I can't get anything done. But the awareness that, of where your brain, where your mind just was coming and, and coming back to the present moment of being like, wow, I was where, where the hell was I? That was crazy. Right. And then coming back to the present moment. And the more you can learn to tether back to the present moment, you're going to realize that that's all the monkey mind ever does. And once you start to become less reactive to that, the more you develop that skill, which comes with practicing meditation, practicing mind body stuff. That's why to me, it's like, you got to do it. You got to do it. We, it's like flossing. You have to do it or else you will have cavities. And so once you start doing that, you get better and better and better at that. Then your fuse starts to lengthen. You might say, wow, I can't believe she said that. And you're like, okay, you know what? I'm not going to let that run down my fuse. Got it. I'm going to text her say, I love you. I'm going to come back to that later. Let me, go, let me go back to my document. This is due, right? And you get better at the mental game of life. And once you do, then you realize that that has always been the central focal piece of everything that's gone right in your life and everything that's gone wrong in your life. And once you can get your attention and focus back, you can start working on making life work, right? Without sitting on that perch and being in control, you're just a slave to circumstance. You are lost. Buddha calls those hungry ghosts. And we're surrounded by hungry ghosts, right? The whole world is waiting to be told what to do or what to think, watching the media, taking someone else's interpretation of events, getting emotional about it, trolling someone on Facebook about politics and, you know, just look around you. That's why the world's crazy.
1: (laughs) Even more of a reason why these messages are useful in a time where there are more inputs than ever. You know, sometimes people say, well, all these modern technologies are dividing us. And yes, they may be in, in certain instances, but there's also a lot of beauty that's come from them. The ability to find out about the work that you put out there, the work that we put out there, there's way more good that's come out of it than bad, but it does bring up this central component, which is how are we letting the inputs of the world influence us? And are we choosing on purpose to step into that, you know, it's like, okay, great. You know what? If a TV show, binge watching a TV show is actually what brings you joy and happiness, like if it's actually what you want, there's really no judgment and you can go in and do that. But often we enter into these things not knowing what we want and we replace it for the easy input that's there. Take us, I, I teased to it a little bit. I said we were going to talk about the story, but how did you end up becoming a monk and start? Really taking these practices to a whole other level, and then tell us about how you ended up leaving, and uh, why.
0: So when I was in UCLA and became uh, disenchanted with the the path that I had picked, and look, you know, immigrant kid figured out how to get good grades, ranked high, like ranked number one in my high school, went straight into UCLA, which was my school of choice, and then all of a sudden I'm like, uh-oh, I don't want this right? That's a, that's a challenging position to be in, right? Um, as a young man trying to figure out who he is when for the last six, seven years of his life, he, was already, he had already decided who he was going to be without understanding who he is. Like we live in a culture that declares who, who, who you're going to be before you know who you are. It's insane, right? And so at this point, um, like any good young adult, I got confused. And was like, man, now what? You know, mom and dad are going to kill me. I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, I thought I had it figured out. and Now I'm just a guy stumbling around a campus trying to figure out who he is. I actually asked God. And I didn't really have, I mean, we had a weird relationship with God growing up because there was an Islamic revolution that killed a bunch of my family members. And, you know, it was like, well, that ain't, that ain't God. So what is, you know, my parents were always like, go find out what God is for yourself because, you know, we had a very um, interesting, you know, kind of fundamentalist version of God enforced on our culture. And that's why we left. Right. Um, But I was like, look, God, if you're up there, I can sure use a clue right now. Right. And I, you know, I was walking through the university research library um, in my own head and 15 feet in front of me, a book falls out of a bookshelf. And I'm just so twisted in my head that I thought a friend of mine heard me and pushed a book down. And I'm like, I, what? So I go, I walk up, I look at the book. It's open to a passage of this Taoist master leading his disciples across a raging river. and I'm like, what the hell is this? Right. And I've been in the martial arts, but like never in this like Jedi stuff. And I was like, Whoa. all right. I asked for a clue and a book fell out of a bookshelf. <laughs> you know, this doesn't happen in reality. So this must be something. So I took the book home. I read it that night. I was like, wow, that was fascinating. Um, started looking, this is how long ago this was. I looked in the yellow pages and found a Taoist school in, in California and um, close to UCLA was in North Hollywood. And I was like, wow, let's go. And so I grabbed my buddy Jay because I was like, this, this crap's too weird for me. And like, you're coming. (laughs) Right. And, and so he's like, yeah, let's go. So we go to this place, I don't know, a couple days later and we're in the antechamber and there's this, you know, Kung Fu lesson going on. And all all these people throwing punches and kicks. And the teacher is like, his back is to us all the way across the studio, working with someone. And we're standing in the thing. And I noticed the teacher and the teacher's head just kind of, comes up like this he whips around walks through the whole school walks by my buddy jay straight up to me and says i've been expecting you <laughs> i'm like man this is weird i'm like i don't i you know i'm like a biology guy and <laughs> i'm like i Okay. Right. And it turned out he was a senior student of um, one of the most notable grandmasters who happened to be off property at a different temple when the communists showed up, killed everyone he knew and burned down our temple. And they smuggled him out to Chinatown, um, San Francisco. And he eventually moved to LA where my teacher became um, his primary disciple. And I was like, okay, here we are. So I started just doing Kung Fu, Tai Chi, Qigong, Gong, all these things that I like, I didn't even know like half of them were. Um, five, six days a week, 30, 30 hours a week while at UCLA. And eventually, you know, he was like, listen, um, we're, we're doing a monastic program. The, the grandmaster uh, wants to revive the lineage. The temple's been burned. The temple is now here. And he points to my heart. And I was like, he's like, are you in? And I was like, yeah. I didn't have time to think about it. I was like, yeah. So then I took oaths and I became a monk and I said, listen, here's the deal. I can't leave. Uh, my parents will kill me. Right. And, and you know, I'm a kid. And, and he's like, no, 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 you stay in your life. When you're done with school, you come, you train. And you know, once a quarter, I want you to work so hard that you get ahead. Once a quarter, you're going to go on sabbatical and I'd have letters of intro to different temples, you know, India, Nepal, Thailand, all over the place. And so for four years, I was in this very, very strict monastic program, shaved head, celibacy for two years, learning Qigong and learning the ways of the, the force, frankly, um, into this like crazy magical world that I didn't even know existed. Um, but, you know, as a scientist, I could feel the qi between my hands. And I'm like, what the hell is that? I can't like, I can't, there's no scientific explanation for what this is but I can also not deny the empirical data that I'm feeling it. And the other person here is feeling it and tell me, yeah, you got it. I'm like, how, how did you know? What, what, what is this? So I was doomed to explore and I've been exploring it ever since.
1: Incredible. So was the expectation set from the beginning that this is a limited thing? So it's not like you're leaving the monkhood. They were wanting you to take these principles and incorporate them into your everyday life, whatever you pursued. Was that the expectation?
0: Yeah, it was the expectation from above, but not for me. I mean, I still had the kind of fragmented psyche of being like, okay, so now I um, am a monk Smurf, not Dr. Smurf. Right. And I, and and so like, I'm still trying to, you know, at, at a young age, you're constantly trying to find a definition for yourself with a young undeveloped ego. So I was like, okay, now I'm a monk guy and I don't live in the world. and I'm a monk guy and this is my identity. And so I'd go off and do all these things. And it took me years, probably the full four years. I was sitting in a temple um, in Rishikesh, India and, you know, talking to the, the Baba that, you know, was in the temple with me. And I'm like, man, I don't, this doesn't feel right. And he's like, tell me more. And then you know the central lesson started coming. Where I was like, man, you know, it just feels like a bunch of everyone here is running away from the Western world, and I don't feel like I can make an impact. And I've been studying this, and I'm so grateful to be here, but I don't know. And he's like, you don't belong here. And I'm like, what? He's like, you don't you don't belong here. You know that you speak good English. You're not of this world. You need to take your skills and everything that you've gotten on this journey, including what we learned in this ashram, back to your world. And I gotta say, man, that didn't. um, That's not what I wanted to hear, right? Like it's, it's great. You know, I was meditating in the high Himalayas, being decadent. I mean, to me, it's like decadence. It's like I get to focus on myself and breathe to my belly and practice Tantra and do all these wonderful things in this other world. But there was a nagging feeling that I was hiding up there while the world was slowly rotting and falling apart. And um, I I had to come back to the world. I like my parents, my friends, everyone's in Los Angeles, California. And it was time for me to come out of hiding and come back into the world. And that's when I became the urban monk.
1: What were some of the first teachings that you started to bring into the lives of other people when you came back and realizing like, how do we actually make this stick, right? Like, how do we actually make this stick? You know, you talk about willpower inside the book, right? So what did you learn about willpower and actually incorporating these teachings into our everyday lives?
0: Yeah, I got to say, in all candor and honesty, when I first got back, I got it all wrong, man. I'd come back and get some like, you know, Oh, so, so while I did this as a concession to my folks, I also went to Oriental Medical School because I was like, look, I'll give you doctor, but I'll give it to you in my flavor, right? And so like I did the doctor thing um, and came back and was in a private practice trying to integrate, you know, monk life and doctor life and, you know, human life. And when I first got back, man, did I get it wrong? Like, you know, I'd get some like corporate exec that would come in and say they're stressed out and I'd be like, Oh, no problem. Here's, you know, seven hours of, you know, austerities to do every day. It'll fix you right up. And they just stare at me like, what the hell is wrong with you, dude? I don't have time. Right. And so reconciling the, the, um, the lack of time compression that i had getting to enjoy and explore and delve deep into all of these principles and concepts and practices with a life of a guy who barely has time to brush his teeth and like walked in with his like you know one shoe untied and is like stressed out about you know you know how much time he has before he has to run back to his next meeting and i was like oh god i now have a lot of integration to do to really take what i learned up there and apply it to Robert in front of me, who doesn't have time who doesn't care, doesn't give a damn about any of the Jedi stuff. He is and if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that guy doesn't care about anything, but feeling a little better right now. Right. And that's where humanity is. And so I had to reintegrate everything that I had learned into the lives of crazy, busy people. And so I decided to make myself one. You know, I took out, you know how much I do, right? Like I'm constantly in, I have like seven books and like in multiple films and I have all this stuff because I was like, I got to pressure test this in a busy life because if I could make it work, then I could teach it. But I can't just throw a bunch of like philosophical crap at people who don't even have time to listen and hope that they listen and then blame them for being terrible students, right? So, I mean, it, be, it became the basis of all my work is like, how do I make this actually work for Robert in front of me? and you know it we started there you know it's like okay look 10 breaths every half an hour right just getting them out of that like escalating fire okay so what are you doing for breakfast what are we doing here And just making little lifestyle tweaks along the way and getting them back in the driver's seat until he's no longer reacting to life and stumbling and tumbling in the white water of life really and and being able to find the stillness but for some people it took you know Six months, some people, it took two years, right? And it, t- and it took a lot of work integrating these things. And, and here, here's the fundamental thing that I learned um, between monk and um, businessman is we have a real big misread in the West of what all this stuff is, right? So a lot of the traditions that we're learning in yoga, meditation, all this wonderful lofty stuff that we all, you know, want to subscribe to, but seldom have time for, they come from ascetic traditions. That's all you got all day, man. Chop some water, fetch, fetch some water, chop some wood, and sit down and do your practices and tell me how it's going, right? But that's the ascetic life, the householder is someone who takes on a family, has a job, has mortgage, has cell phone bills, has to gas up that car, has to deal with money. The householder has a very different interface with these practices than an ascetic. Yet we're all householders stressing out about not having time to do all the ascetic austerities. It's, it's just a misread. A householder needs to learn how to keep their calm and be a better person with their feet on the ground in the world that they're standing in, being the father, the husband, the boss, the employee, whatever it is that you've committed to doing and not being like, oh, screw all that stuff. I'm going to run off to my spiritual life. You have to integrate the two. And that became really, I mean, that became the basis of my work for the last 20 years.
1: There's so many key concepts that you've talked about over here. And for a lot of people that listen in the podcast there's always the question of, okay, what is the recommendation of how I get started? Now, some people have a little bit of a meditation practice, or some people have made progress, especially a podcast like this. They have made some tweaks on their, on their diet. And like that, there's a bunch of other areas. You know, you talk about setting boundaries inside the book. What's the best way to start auditing and looking at our areas of life so that we can tap into one of these tools in the toolbox that is inside the book and then know how to apply them in the right order for us specifically.
0: Yeah. I mean, it always starts with doing a reconciliation, right? So what I would do is just get a piece of paper um, and just write out the areas of your life garden. So like, you know, for most people, and again, this is a suggestion and your life might be a little different, but let's say it's career, family, health, passions, desired objects, right? So you've always wanted a pony or a ranch or whatever. That's fine. Put it all up there and then just put what you currently have going on and what percent of your time and energy is going to each. And then just kind of look at the relative balance and imbalance of that. And that will usually tell you where to start you're like, wow, I say family is important to me. And you know, I just, every time my kid comes up and wants to talk, I'm like, not now. Right. And, and, and you start working on the places where, you know, there is the most um, leverage, right. Um, you know it if your diet isn't good. Right. So for me, I will always start with health because what I've learned is that health is the currency of life. It's the energy. So if you're not, if you can, if if your health light is flickering, You don't have energy for any other part of the garden, right? So for me, that's always the first place is like, okay, how do I optimize this person's health? Is it, you know, it's different for everyone, right? It's like, maybe you start taking a 30 minute walk every day. Maybe you, you know, you put two different color vegetables with every meal and, um, you know, for everyone, I I recommend meditation because it's like absolutely the number one game changer across the board. I used to just be like kind of shy about it and like, Oh yeah, maybe you should meditate. Now I'm like, dude, if you're not meditating, like, I don't know, I don't know how to help you because I can't, I can't be in your mind. I can't be the person that says no to the cheesecake when you're out in front of, you know, the cheesecake, it has to be you. And that comes from this part of your brain. You are the only person that could power that. So, you know, what I say is you look at all these parts of your life, you figure out where you have the, the most leverage the most benefit you can get quickly and start optimizing so that you can get a little energy out of that. Start watering that plant, right? And then start looking around for where else. Look for the weeds, look for the weeds. And the more you realize what is a weed versus a plant, you start plucking the weeds and keeping the energy and the water, right? So it's just water, water is energy, money, time, whatever, however you trade that to the things that you say are important to you. The more you will become aware of the weeds that are pulling off that water and then you're in the game because then you start realizing how untended your life garden has been and how fun it is to just pluck weeds and keep water going to where you're seeing results. And when you start seeing results, you're now proving something to yourself that's really important that you can win. Because look, after, you know, dozens of failed new year's resolutions and like botched diets and stuff, what we've done for ourselves is we've proven to ourselves that we fail and that it's okay to fail because everyone around you fails. It's like, Oh yeah, I started this workout and you know, I lasted three days. Um, That just proved to yourself something that is moving you in a downward spiral towards saying, I, I'm I'm allowed to not have integrity with my word to myself. I need, I need you to rebuild that integrity, your word, your honor with yourself by honoring commitments to yourself, no matter how small they are at first, so that you can get a win, you get a feather in your cap, and then you start building on that, building confidence, building this positive behavior of realizing that if you take action and you move towards things, you can actually see the results through. And once you do that, then you know you could do it again and again and bigger and better, right? But most people I know, Drew, everyone's talking. Oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm this, I'm that. But they never take the thing that they're saying and assign an action to it to actually see it through. Oh, I want to lose 40 pounds. Great. What are you doing for that? Let me see what your dietary changes are. Let me see what your exercise changes are. Let me see how you have an action plan to get there. And look, if you, if you need help, there's the internet, right? There's podcasts. There's tons of information out there. But unless you assign action to words, it's just empty words, right? And that's where I think a lot of people get tripped up. And that, that's a big piece of this, this work is reintegrating your integrity with yourself, so that you do what you say and you say what you do. That alone puts you in the 1% on this planet, really.
1: You know, to piggyback off of that and, and some of our concluding thoughts here, when I look at your story, so much of it started when you broke out of the expectations that others had for you, right? You were young. A lot of people, when they're young, family, society, people, have expectations on them, but you wanted to go down a different path. And breaking expectations really comes back to setting boundaries. And sometimes it's setting boundaries in our life that allows for us to actually even have the space to try to give focus to the things that we want to do. So almost like starting sometimes starts with stopping, you know, stopping and just getting a little bit of breathing room. Why do you think it's so hard for a lot of people that are listening to set boundaries and change the expectations that others have on them for their own life.
0: Great question. Um, Very deep question because it's going to come back to my central premise and I'm going to start there. I'm going to start somewhere else and come back to it, which is first off, we're all people pleasers. We all want people to like us and we want to feel loved and it's really, you know, saying no doesn't feel good. And, you know, all all these things that get us to become yes people and and kind of instinctively reactive to things instead of stopping and saying, what do I need? Right. Especially in like the self-help spiritual communities, it feels selfish to say like, what, what about me? Right. Um, but what about me should be the, the primary interface? Because I always use my life garden as the filter and say, look, if I say yes to this, I'm saying no to my son and my daughter. You know, I was going to go walk in the woods with them today. Like, what is it going to be? Am I going to be the dad or am I going to be, you know, the new friend to this new new guy? Who cares? Right. And so, you know, so, you know and saying no sometimes sounds rude, but that's because we have energy behind it. I love it. When I talk to someone who has their act together, and is like, respectfully, I can't do that. I really love what you're doing, but we just don't have the bandwidth for that. You know, I wish you the best. And you're like, wow, cool. What an adult, <laughs> right? Or and even people, I don't,
1: you know, love, you know, I love what you're up to, but I don't want to do that.
0: Yeah. Which is also cool. Right. But don't like, don't, don't jerk me around. Don't say you're interested and not show up and start ghosting my calls. Like that's a respectable adult thing to do and say, Right, You don't have to say it with, with spite. You say it because you know where you stand. You've looked at your life garden, if you will. And you're like, well, that doesn't fit in my plan. Like we're going over here. But best of luck to you, man. Right? That's cool. I, I, I respect that. Um, to me, that is a function of the same stuff we've been talking about all day, every day. And I'll tell you where the wall gets broken is every single force out there in advertising has, you know, these advertising companies have recruited teams of neuroscientists to understand how we behave and react better than we ever will, right? Unless we get into the game. And so the information age is a battle for the minds of men and women. And so, everything out there is designed to distract you, pull you out of your prefrontal cortex, put you back in your limbic system, you know, panicking about, you know, oh, they're going to come, they have guns, the Chinese are coming, the militias are coming, the who knows what's coming and to have you in that fight or flight reactive place where you can't make a rational decision for yourself and then they put things in front of you that drive your animal impulsivity oh, I will find a mate if I have a better car, if I wear this brand, if I do this. It really, it's designed to tap into your animal brain and extract money out of your pocket. What do, you trade your, what do you trade for money? Your time and your energy. So it's a parasitic system pulling the energy out of your life, the heartbeats you have left on planet Earth into some product, some idea, some political campaign and all of it. And the antidote, Antidote to that, and it took me a long time to come back around to the simplicity of this answer, which is funny, is the only way out is in you have to turn your attention around, build up the capacity of your own third eye, if you want to call it that, but your prefrontal cortex with practices that we know do this called meditation, mind, mind, body, work, yoga, tai chi. I mean, we understand that these practices do exactly what I'm saying here, which is empowering you to sit in the part of your brain that comfortably allows you to do what? The word is negation of impulses. No. No. I want to say yes, because I want you to like me. I think that might be good for our business. I think that's a cool thing to do. I've never jumped out of an airplane, but no, I'm sorry. I was on my way to the gym and then to have a salad with my wife and kids, right? And that, that point right there between reactivity and stopping to have the awareness to think about it and say, is this for me? No, thank you. Is where we all get lost and the entire industry is out there punching us right there at that spot trying to get us off that perch so that we can be better reactive idiot mindless consumers instead of masters of our own destiny and so look to me the only way out is in you have to take control of your consciousness Cause it's being pilfered. And to me, that's why the central premise of this entire book was focus. Cause to me, that's what's being pulled out of us. That's what we lack. And that's the central ingredient that allows you to get your life back together and choose the life that you want for you, not the one that you're being told to help co-create for someone else.
1: Beautiful brother. I you couldn't have said it better than that. Well, the book is out. It's there. I have my copy over here. I think this is advanced copy. And, uh, it's fantastic. Uh, how can people find out more about it? Are there any special things that are coming with the, with the book that they can uh, dig into a little bit more?
0: Yeah. One of the things that I decided to do in my experience, if you will, of having you know been at this for a long time is a lot of people just feel so lost and helpless that they're like, just help, help. I don't even know where to start. And although it's all there in the book, what I decided to do was for anyone who gets the book, um, just go to theurbanmonk.com. I'm doing a free 21 day course called Focus, which gives you a little bit of activity and action and guidance every single day for 21 days to start you off and build your positive habits so that I can give you a little shot in the arm and get you the momentum that you need to carry forward. Okay. And that to me has been, you know, critical piece of this is like, people just feel so helpless. And a guy like me, who's like done all this work, they're like, Oh, well you were a monk. It's like, well, I wasn't before I was, but let me show you how I got there. Right. Let me help you get some wins and just a couple positive strokes ahead so that now you can kind of take that and run with it and get control of your mind and get control of your life again.
1: Powerful. Well, we'll have the link to that and the book in the show notes for everybody. Uh, Pedram, you're not, you put out a lot of work. You're not super active on social media, but we'll link those up as well. But if people want to stay in touch with you individually, what's the best channel to go to?
0: Yeah. I mean, look, you can find us. I, I personally, I hate social media as you know, <laughs> it's just, it's hard for me to put my time into it, but we do have channels. We have, um, go to the, it's the urban monk on Facebook, uh, official urban monk on Instagram, uh, or just go to the urban All the links are there and you can find me like, you know, I engage with people plenty. I just, I'm not out there. Like, look at me. That's just, I can't do it. It's, uh, I'd rather hang out with my young kids at this point.
1: well i'm sure when they get a little older they'll start taking videos and and photos of you and post them put them to work put them to work (laughs) it's a pleasure to have you on thank you for sharing your message and helping us reclaim back our energy time and money through the power focus
0: love it thank you drew